0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My name is Father Ben. I'm one of the priests here. And I just wanted to say at the outset of this brief sermon, hopefully it's brief, uh, I've been working hard, um, that uh, I gained a lot of good insight from Alyssa Burkle, who preached this this text uh, at a preaching lab um, that we held last weekend. I guess it was just last weekend. So, we teach, uh, teach folks to preach, and so a lot of you participated in that, and Alyssa preached this text, and I learned a lot. And Alyssa, I appreciate you responding to God's call. Uh, I think that the fruit, um, fruit is being born in our congregation because of it already. So thank you for preaching this text. We are walking through Luke's gospel this summer and this fall, uh, journeying with Jesus to Jerusalem as he proclaims good news for the poor and salvation for all. Large crowds are following Jesus, our text says, and he turns to them and says, "'Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself cannot be my disciple, and whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. None of you can be my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions.'" Now, when I read it that way, I think that's how a lot of us hear it, yeah? When Spencer read today that gospel passage, how did it hit your body? How did it impact you? Did you tense up a bit? Did you clench your jaw a little bit? Did you tighten your shoulders a little bit? Most of us feel Jesus being harsh And demanding here. That's what this text sort of does to us because of our culture, the way that we were brought up. Perhaps it reminds us of a parent or a teacher who was harsh and demanding. It reminded me, on a lighter note, of a brief scene in one of my favorite episodes of the animated sitcom King of the Hill. Anybody seen it? All right. Anyway, uh, the Hills, this family that's uh, the center of the show, they've left their church because Reverend Stroop gave away their pew to a new family, and they felt disrespected. So they're like, we're leaving the church. So they're looking for a new church, um, and they, they need to find something. Um, otherwise, they're going to live the barren lives of secular humanists, and uh, they don't want that. So that's another one of the jokes. Um, so anyway, so that week at work, Hank, the father of the family, he asks his coworkers, sort of with trepidation... He's like, hey, if a guy were looking for a new church, does anybody know of a good one? And his coworkers sort of descend upon him in an avalanche of advice and suggestions, like, oh, you can come to my church. My church is great. My church is great. But then one of his coworkers uh, is this guy who calls everybody honey. I can't remember the, guy, the character's name, but um, one of his coworkers turns to him and his face darkens a bit and he says, You got to be right with God to go to my church, honey. It's hardcore. So, that's what I thought of when I heard uh, this passage. Because I th- it doesn't it feel like Jesus is inviting us to be hardcore, right? You got to be right with God to follow me. You got to be hardcore to follow Jesus. You have to make heroic sacrifices. You have to be an absolute spiritual beast to follow Jesus, right? Jesus is looking for the few, the proud, the spiritual marines, Right? And I imagine them walking in slow motion with an explosion in the background, right? That's who Jesus is looking for. We hear Jesus like this, and we, we look at our lives, and we're like, eh, maybe I'm not cut out for this. I don't know if that's me. I don't think I'm a hero. I don't think I'm a spiritual marine. Well, unclench your jaw. Take a deep breath, (sighs) loosen your shoulders, because there's good news for us today in this passage. A new kind of life is available to us in God through discipleship to Jesus, beloved. And it upends our assumptions about the good life and the allegiances that we've made to secure it. Jesus today invites us to let go of our hopeless significance projects and our ill fated security schemes, and instead, Take up the easy yoke of the cross and follow Him into abundant life together. Now, to be clear, Jesus is seeking to disorient the crowds in this passage. He is seeking to disabuse them and us of the notion that discipleship is casual. It's not casual. That's what Jesus is getting at here. It's not like changing my morning routine a little bit. It's not like getting into a new kind of music. It's not like attending a few lectures and having a few new ideas, no. Discipleship involves the complete reorientation of one's life. It's a change in primary allegiance from blood relatives and kin and family connections to Jesus and the community that He is creating. This is what it means to hate your father and your mother. Jesus isn't inviting us to cultivate personal feelings of animosity towards those that we're related to. Jesus is letting us know that our allegiance must shift. Our primary allegiance must shift. Discipleship involves a willingness to live as though we have already been condemned to death by crucifixion. That's what it means to carry our cross. We live as as though we're condemned to death, which means that we don't pursue noble status. It means that we're willing to undergo suffering rather than inflict it Discipleship involves letting go of our attempts to secure our life through stockpiling possessions, instead seeing our possessions as belonging to all who have need of them, trusting God to provide for all of us. And so Jesus is inviting us into the total reconstruction of one's identity and allegiance, not along ancestral lines or on the basis of social status, but within the new community that Jesus is creating, which upends all of that stuff. The first or last and the last or first. But doing these things doesn't make us spiritual heroes. We don't choose discipleship to Jesus because we're hardcore. We choose discipleship to Jesus because we trust what Jesus says about reality. So we turn away from allegiance to kin because we realize that the status it may bring us in the eyes of others means nothing in the eyes of God. And the belonging it creates can never be expansive enough to expand to the whole world and to embrace all of humanity. So we carry our cross not because we're hardcore. We carry our cross because we recognize that simply trying to avoid suffering and trying to avoid dishonor in the eyes of others, that's not actually bringing us into flourishing. It's not actually giving us life. We give up all our possessions because we recognize that stockpiling them hasn't brought us the security we thought it would. We turn away from these things because Jesus has told us that they can't actually deliver on what they promise. They're dead ends that will ultimately fail to bring us and all creation into the flourishing that God desires, which is, I think, part of the work that the two parables that Jesus says in this passage, it's part of the work they're doing here. Jesus tells a story about a tower builder and a king who failed to count the cost of their projects. The tower builder has failed to count the cost. He doesn't realize he doesn't have enough to finish. He started something that he can't finish, and now he exposes himself to ridicule because of it. The king fails to consider whether he can actually win the war he is waging and is forced to ask for peace instead. So these aren't examples. I used to think these were examples of hardcore disciples faithfully counting the cost. But I think one of the ways these parables work is that they're not examples of hardcore disciples. They're examples of foolish people who have invested in things they can never complete. They failed to count the cost of the ill-fated projects that they can't possibly succeed at. So it seems that the unfinished tower and the hopeless war Are pictures of people who trust in their possessions to bring security, who hope to gain social status through their family connections. They represent people trying to become well liked or rich or powerful enough to secure a place and a name for themselves. And Jesus seems to be saying here stop your foolish pursuit of security and reputation before you lose everything. The price is too high. You're never going to achieve what you're seeking give up your tower building, give up your warmongering, and follow me instead. Beloved, a new kind of life is available to us through God, in God, through discipleship to Jesus, and it upends all of our assumptions about the good life, how to gain security and significance and belonging, and the allegiances that we've made to secure those things for ourselves. Jesus invites us today instead to let go of our hopeless significance projects, our ill-fated security schemes, and instead take up the easy yoke of the cross and follow Him into abundant life together. So it's not hardcore to give up everything to follow Jesus, because we know that the so-called life that we're giving up is just an ill-fated security scheme. It's a hopeless significance project that will never come to fruition. In other words, it's too expensive not to follow Jesus. Dallas Willard once said, if you think it's hard to follow Jesus, you should try the other way. (laughs) He's getting at the same kind of an idea. In many ways, Jesus here is reiterating the charge from our Deuteronomy text. I've set before you life and death. Ironically, the way of life looks like death. It's the way of the cross. But I've set before you life and death… Blessings and curses, choose life so that your descendants may live loving the Lord your God, obeying Him and holding fast to Him, for that means life to you. And so we gladly die to that which promises life but always ends in death, so that we can participate in this new kind of life together that initially feels like death. And so we carry our cross, and as we do, we find that it is actually the same thing as the easy yoke that Jesus promised. The cross is the easy yoke. Paradoxically, we find that the way of the cross is none other than the way of life and peace, actually. So that's it. That's the sermon. Let's respond together. Amen? How are you tangled up in a hopeless significance project? How are you tangled up in an ill-fated security scheme? What do you need to let go of today in order to take up the easy yoke of the cross and follow Jesus into abundant life? Let's respond to this good news today, but not just with a change in our inner attitude towards those things we seek security and significance from. That's good and and well and, and fine. But I think we should also be thinking about how to reckon with our material participation in these things. So for example, let us question our assumptions about what to do when we have more money than we need to pay our expenses and live a relatively simple life. Let's question our assumptions about what that means for us. Let's interrogate how the banks and the investment funds that we invest in, how do they use the money? Are they they profiting from, and therefore (coughs) I'm profiting from, exploitation, from oppression, Let's question that. Let's interrogate that. Let's ask those questions, which we're learning to do as a community. Also let us not hide behind privilege that may be given to us based on our gender or our racialized identity or our sexuality or our wealth or our social status, but rather let's seek out in intentional ways, learning together what this means, material embodied solidarity with the marginalized and with the oppressed in our midst, putting our bodies in the way of the violence that's aimed at them so that their fate becomes ours. That's how we do these things practically in today's world, I think. Just I'll say parenthetically that this is part of what's happening in Paul's request to Philemon to receive Onesimus, his runaway slave, to receive him as a brother. It's upending all kinds of social norms. And for Philemon to receive Onesimus, a a runaway slave, like the punishment for running away is is pretty bad. If so, for Philemon to receive Onesimus as a brother would have cost him economically. It also would have cost him socially. The people in his… He's likely a wealthy person if he has his own house where a church can meet. And so people in his social class would… He would lose face to do this rather than show that slave who's boss. And so for Philemon, we don't know what choice he made, but this is his discipleship charge from Paul. It doesn't mean just changing his attitude towards Onesimus. It doesn't mean just being a little nicer towards Onesimus. It means entering into material solidarity with Onesimus by forgiving his debt and treating him as an equal. As a church, we've only really begun to learn what it means for us to do these things, to carry our cross, to follow Jesus together in these kinds of ways, but let us continue to do so, knowing that this new life that we gain together in God is far better than the one we leave behind. So we're not hardcore to follow Jesus like this. We're more like opportunists who come across a treasure in a field that isn't ours. And so what do we do? We quickly go away, sell everything we have, and buy the field. Not because we're hardcore, because we know how much that treasure is worth. So, beloved, we're not hardcore, we're opportunists. (laughs) Let's follow Jesus like that uh, together, amen? A new kind of life is available to us in God through discipleship to Jesus, and it upends all of our assumptions about the good life and the allegiances we've made to secure it Jesus invites us today to let go of our hopeless significance projects, our ill-fated security schemes, and instead take up the easy yoke of the cross and follow Jesus together into abundant life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.